I was hoping there were more people because I have not paid attention to the news at all for two weeks. I was hoping someone else could tell me what what had happened. <laughs> Wait, that's, that's what we're up. for, for other people. <laughs> <laughs> Can that's someone please tell us what happened over the last couple of weeks? Because we have no idea. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another edition of Black Hills Information Security, talking about news. My name is John Strand, and I'm joined by our illustrious crew, who are going to pop up here on the screen at some point. There they are. We got Ryan, as always, who we're constantly looking for any valid reason to give him critical feedback at Black Hills Information Security, but he keeps knocking it out of the park. Well, we've got Noah, who actually did have to be on call during the holidays because stock analyst. We have Ben and Tim, who hopefully did absolutely nothing during the holidays, but none of us really set up the show notes like from the, from the technical side of the house. Ryan just threw this together, so it's kind of news story roulette. But in this particular show, we're going to be talking about log for shell because it's the new ransomware for the show. I, I think it's going to be months before we have any stories that don't involve log for shell We're going to talk about how pandas and water don't mix with aquatic panda. We're going to talk about LastPass vulnerabilities. And we're also going to be discussing some earlier news stories, talking about um, storing passwords in Chrome, which is something that's very interesting to me. Firmware attacks and root kits and boot kits. And uh, yeah, like lights out, integrated lights out management vulnerabilities on HP. So we have a pretty good story list of things to go through today because yay news. So let's jump right in. I would like to talk about integrated lights out. Um, I don't know if you guys saw this on the Hacker News. Um, they were talking about an integrated lights out rootkit targeting HP enterprise servers. It's interesting. Whenever you're looking at integrated lights out or you're looking at um, like Dell, uh, I think it's OpenManage, you, you have these software platforms that are embedded into the hardware. Uh, so imagine the vendors of like HP and Dell are like, you know what our products need? They need a rootkit that's running underneath the actual operating system. So you can turn the device on and off. You can shut off the network. You can go through and get full access to the environment, full access to the hard drive. And that's actually built in. Like, that's the feature. So for remote management, if you can't get to the operating system, you can use something like Integrated Lights Out from HP, or you can use Dell Open Manage to remotely administer servers. And um, I, I think it's funny, like somebody once said, this is a tool for people that are scared by SSH, I guess. And I remember the first time I ever came across, uh, I think it was OpenManage. I can't remember which one. Um, it was whenever I was at uh, Northrop Grumman working at the Department of Defense, and I was doing a security assessment, came across it, it was completely wide open, no user ID and password. And I honestly thought that we had been hacked by the uh, Russians. I was like, this is ridiculous. Why does this exist? And uh, the server farm I was pen testing, it was all running, default no password, and we could take over everything remotely. So by its nature, it's interesting because it's already a rootkit, but somebody went out of their way, an APT group, the article says, to actually create something called Integrated Lights Out Bleed or ILO Bleed, which is a rootkit that allows you to get maintain access to the integrated light out <laughs> interface, which it almost it almost seems like 
okay, here's this thing that's already a backdoor. We're going to backdoor your backdoors, yo. I, I, I don't know. It just seems like it's a bit too much digging down into it. Ralph, do you have something to add to this as well? Yeah. So no, I was just going to say that, you know, ILO and all this stuff is really part of like the IPMI, right? The movement away from KVMs and into integrated uh, controllers into motherboards so that you can control these systems, right? Without having to, as someone mentioned, drive all the way to the data center just to open this thing up because it's totally hard crashed, right? You know, and plug in the VGA and all the other fun stuff. So, I mean, that's really what we were designed for was to integrate that. But obviously, the security of that web interface, it is its own separate chip on the motherboard um, that interfaces, you know, directly with the the board. It's, it's it, you know, it's like the it's like the equivalent of a Raspberry Pi, you know, integrated onto the board just for accessing it remotely. Right. And yeah, it's the, the security of that. And the other big one, too, um, HP makes the ILO. The other really big one is uh, iDRAC with uh, Dell, and each of those yeah, yeah. improve their security posture. Te- I mean, really, they have, but they are full OSs like on those boards, right? And they are totally independent. The only thing that's required for them to operate is that the motherboard has power, and it's not like fried. So, well, my question I wanted to ask: How many internal assessments? This is open up for everybody. And Noah, you've been exposed to this stuff too, but it seems to me. I would say one out of five internal security assessments, pivot tests that we do, we find this open, like either with default credentials, easy to guess credentials, or credentials that we crack in one place to gain access to these. So this seems to me like this is one of those hacker super highways on the inside of the environments that we're constantly taking advantage of. Am I wrong on that? Because it seems to me it's about one in five internal pen test or vulnerability assessment reports that we find these with either easy to guess passwords, passwords that they're reusing or default passwords. I was also going to say just on the assessments that um, I always write this up immediately for segmentation, right? If I see them. So uh, yeah, continue on uh, whoever else wants to speak. Well, I was going to say, I mean, there's been times I've been called in for some consulting stuff or whatever. And I, I I run across iDRAC and I'm like, Oh, okay, cool. Uh, I wonder if they change the password because I will admit changing the password on iDRAC is not exactly super simple. So you just type in for your username root and for your password Calvin and you just log right in and you're like, oh, that's fantastic. I can now do whatever I want to the server. So yeah. and, and that and that stuff never goes away, right? Like people are like, well, the newer versions don't have like default <laughs> passwords. I don't I don't care. Like though I'm more interested in the fact that so much technology exists in environments today where it was installed five, eight. 10, 15 years ago, and that hardware yeah. is still running to this day. It, it, you can't talk about what the new protections are because we're constantly taking advantage of these blind spaces that exist in environments as well. I saw a brand new Dell server that was actually put out by a security vendor, and I had a, I had a fun talk with them about that, but they, they shipped out this uh, hardware, and the iDRAC password had been changed. So it, normally, like you said, it's, it's randomized now before it leaves the factory. But they had specifically taken it and then changed the password to root and Calvin. <laughs> what? No. People know. No, no way. I'm dead was, serious. What was that password, though? That's why. Everyone knows. Wait a minute. Did they read in the manual? They're like, well, that's what it should be. Like, it's got to make it, it work. No, they, they wanted to be able to make sure that when in their documentation, they could get their users to log into iDRAC as needed to do some configuration and whatnot. And they literally changed the password from its secure configuration 
to the like legacy old it's, default username and password. Dude, the iDRAC versions like seven, eight, and nine all require password changes, right? Like it's right. like if you update them, it's mandatory. You you have to change it to something else. And it's not Calvin, like when you first log in, like it, it's all changed. But what I think is funny is is that they also support uh VLAN, they also support um authentication via LDAP and all the other things. So like you can set it up so you can integrate it all with these users and everyone's just like, well. I don't know. I guess we'll choose Calvin again. Seems hard. That that almost seems to me like the Anchorman meme, Steve Carroll's character, where it's like I set my password to incorrect, so it reminds me when I get it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's let's move on. Just so you know, look for this stuff and eradicate it from your environment because attackers are going for it. We absolutely go for it. Any test that we do. Um, next one's from Bleeping Computer. I wanted to talk about firmware attack that drops persistent malware in hidden SSD area. So interestingly, whenever you're looking at hard drives, almost any hard drive that's out there, there's going to be parts of the hard drive that it doesn't allocate to the operating system. Um, this especially is very, with very SSDs. Especially with SSDs. And that can actually go anywhere from like 3 to like 25% on many of the hard drives. And they do that for a variety of reasons. But you used to see this on old spinning disks. There was part that just wouldn't be allocated. And with forensics analysis, you would, you would be watching that because sometimes you would find malware there. So if we're going through history, there was some malware that used to exist on unallocated hard drive spaces. You also saw rootkits that would actually like basically lie to the operating system and reduce the amount of available hard drive space to the operating system by like, you know, like 50 megs. And that's where the malware would exist. Also, if you're looking at Metasploit, there was modules like Slacker that would actually input the malware in the Slack space of the hard drive, which is very similar to this one um, as well, making forensics analysis far more difficult. Additional research looking at volume shadow copy, where malware can actually reside on volume shadow copies. And the best presentation on that was by Mark Baggett and Jake Williams, where they talked about that. And I think, uh, I think Tim Tomes was part of that talk as well. So this particular bit of research, there's nothing that's really all that new because this type of research has been going on literally since John McAfee was writing first virus signatures, basically hiding on the disk itself. But I think it's interesting because even though I think it's old news, we have people that are new in the industry. This serves as a refresher, as a reaffirmation that attackers can hide pretty much anywhere on your system. And you should never accept things at face value. But I wanted to open this up. I, we don't do this very often in our pen test. And I wanted to see if anybody on the session today, have you ever done anything like Slacker? I, I know Volume Shadow Copy. We've done some stuff with running our mal malware from Volume Shadow Copies. But any, any actual pen tests that have actually used these types of techniques that you guys can think of? And should we be doing it? That's another question. I will say that from a, like an admin standpoint, if, if you, when you ask like, should we be doing this? Yeah, once you do that, and then you get done with your test, and they say, okay, now take the malware off. Uh, yeah, Jonathan King just brought that up. Uh, I think he was flat out, flat out, no, too much overhead uh, re-instructions to clean it up. And I think, yeah. So go ahead, Noah. Sorry to interrupt, but Jonathan was right on on base with you as well. That's mostly it. I'm just thinking like, I, I'm just sitting here thinking about. If someone were to come into my environment and say, like, oh, yeah, so I put malware in the Slack space or I put malware in the flex in the flex space on your SSDs. And you'd be like, 
how do I get that out of there now? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> what do you expect me to do with this now? I guess I guess we just nuke the system. Hopefully you didn't run execution in the firmware. Yeah, that's that's basically the aliens IR approach. Nuke it from high orbit. It's the only way to be sure, right? Well, and with this kind of stuff, you don't actually know that that's for sure. Nuking it might not, because you can also just run this in firmware. True, right? You don't have to run um, this in the OS. So, yeah. so unless it's your version of nuking it is running it through a shedder, you don't actually know that for sure. Well, and that brings up uh, Litchfield's paper from, I think it was NSS Labs, I'm not sure, years ago called Writing and Detecting PCI-Based Rootkits, which is a similar concept, right? You can actually write a rootkit that runs on your video card or your network card. Uh, Riguro Tuzi wrote one that was actually on network cards uh, a number of years ago as well. And, and I don't think that this stuff gets enough press because, once again, as a pen tester, I think you're absolutely right. Whenever they're like, so how do I get rid of this? And you're like, don't know. Um, you're, you're kind of screwed <laughs> at that point, and you don't want to do that. But it's one of those things that a lot of blue teams are like, you need to emulate exactly what the Russians and the Chinese are going to do, or the NSA. Um, since we're a global webcast, I, I think that that's, that's easier said than done. And then the other thing that you run into is a lot of people aren't aware of this unless you've played with these, anytime you're talking about rootkit level technologies, especially whenever you're going on to like PCI-based rootkits or you're talking about rootkits in the firmware, there is always a chance that you're going to nuke that firmware and you're going to make that system not recoverable. And <laughs> yeah. that, is, that is higher than a non-zero chance. You know, Having taught this stuff for years and playing with it, I would say probably 50% of the time, Whenever I play with these things in a lab, it would completely nuke my system. <laughs> and I would teach this stuff. And I'm like, by the way, if you're working in a skiff or a very secure area and you start losing hard drives at a very regular clip, that might be something that you want to look into. So it's great to understand and see, yes, this is a thing. But once again, it's, it's really, really dangerous. And that's why you don't see a lot of pen testers do we were just talking about companies who are changing the IPMI password to Calvin. All right. I think we've got like, they're not ready for that. Like most people just aren't <laughs> even ready for that. Right. Like we're, we're really talking for. high level stuff that, you know, for two reasons we're not doing, like you just said, like one, it's difficult and two, it's dangerous. Right. And, you know, to my last third point, I don't think anyone's really like, they're not at that. Some of your level, employees right? are using summer 2021 <laughs> or summer yeah, 2022. You, you have bigger issues than <laughs> firmware security. I, I'm yeah, sorry to say. But that's the sexy stuff, right? Like, I'm, I can't tell you how many times, like we talk to our customers and they're like, so are you guys going to go through it? Like, I remember we had a, uh, like vulnerability du jour. And it was one of them in Apache over the past five years. And they were like, oh, are you guys going to actually go through and test for this vulnerability? I'm like, you don't have any Apache servers. Yeah, but can you test it for us? I'm like, you don't understand. Like you said, your password is spring 2019. Like, you have so many other things to worry about rather than this attack that's like front page news. Yeah. It's, I, I think I read an article recently. It was like on Stack Overflow and it was about, uh, should I worry about, uh, what was it, SHA 256 collisions? And yeah, it was just like, <laughs> No. <laughs> let me let me let me sum this up right like the answer is absolutely not and we have a better chance of getting hit by a meteor tomorrow by like <laughs> astronomically amounts more and our threat model is totally off right so theoretically <laughs> Dude, you want to you want to piss off people at rsa talk about how tls ssl vulnerabilities really don't matter yeah. um <laughs> if, if you're talking about crime and beast and all these things 
and you're inevitably going to have somebody that's like, yes, but all, all somebody needs to do is they actually need to be able to execute JavaScript within your browser. And then once they execute that JavaScript in the browser, they can actually force a hash collision for the TLS SSL vulnerabilities that we're talking about in this particular situation. And then it's going to allow you to get access to the SSL. I'm like, if somebody's executing JavaScript in your browser, they already won. Uh, but, but because, you know, math heads are like, yeah. you know, Bruce Meyer's like, this is relevant to my interest. It gives a CD uh, score of like, CDSS score of like seven. And you're like, I've never once seen that exploited anywhere. Ever. As uh, someone who on. doesn't understand that complex level of math, I'm happy that there are people out there doing it and pushing it to that limits. Yeah. But I think you're right. Like at a practical level, like I, I don't get me wrong. I love writing up TS, TLS, SSL phones on a, an external Always, pen test. Right. Realistically, you know, what are you going to do with that? <laughs> <laughs> it's, hey, man, I got a, I got a passionation state here. This is, this is. <laughs> and, and I hate it for me. Like whenever I'm talking to our customers and I'm like, I have to report this because of like PCI and things like that, but put it in your plan of actions and milestones. How about you change your spring 2021 password first, right? <laughs> Let's do that. And then inevitably there's some jackass. They're like, but this guy is a PhD. And I'm like, right there, you should stop <laughs> listening to like 90% of the PhDs. Like you just stop. So that's, oh. that's, that's just great. Um, stuff. I love writing up TLS SSL vulnerabilities in a pen test. Control C, control V. Yeah. We call that padding that we have to put in. There's no way we can get around not putting that in a report. But every time we do, there's a little part of us that dies inside. So, Especially when they bring it up. Is this a vulnerability? Yeah. Yeah. I guess. Uh, yeah. Well, do we want to talk about like aquatic yeah. pandas? Mm, that sounds interesting. So this is from CrowdStrike, an interesting article where they actually saw the log4 shell exploit being used. It's kind of funny because I know what happened at CrowdStrike. The CrowdStrike Overwatch team is a very solid team, so I'm not ripping on their team whatsoever. But I can almost see the marketing team calling up the Overwatch SOC team at CrowdStrike saying, have we, been, have we found log for uh, shell anywhere? No, not yet. Have we found log for shell anywhere? No, not yet. Have we found it anywhere? Yes, one of our customers got hit. And they're like, quick, write a blog on it now! Because it's marketing, <laughs> right? We don't even have an APT name for this group. Quick, just just name them anything. Uh, Name them Aquatic Panda. Quick, can we get someone in marketing to like gen up a logo for this Aquatic Panda (laughs) hacking group like right now? Um, And this was clearly like written somebody. You could see that there's definitely at least two authors in here where they go through and they talk about the technical aspects of the attack and how, how they detected it. And once again, technically, this is a great, Great write-up. And whoever wrote this up, hats off to you. But once again, the marketing propaganda comes in like in the first paragraph, following the December 9th, 2021 announcement of the Log4j vulnerability, CrowdStrike Falcon Overwatch trademark has provided customers with unrivaled protection and 24-7-365 diligence <laughs> in the face of heightened uncertainty. And it's like, oh my God, dial it back just a freaking hair. Um <laughs> So, yeah, you know, it's a great technical write-up. And I think you should be asking, can your security operations center detect things at this level? Can they actually pull out DNS queries and things of that nature? But, but seriously, it's like you could just see the marketing hype on this. This just dialed up to 11. Um, once again, great team, trained a lot of the people, know a lot of the people there. But once again, you can see marketing sprinkling shit all over it. 
almost makes it unreadable <laughs> at some point. Yeah. I wonder what these threat groups think of these like infographics that APT researchers come up with them. Is that something that they embrace? Oh, kind they of make absolutely it part of their do. culture, you know? They absolutely do. And they actually wear it as like a badge. So like if you're in an APT group and they detect it and they do a write-up and they generate a logo, that's your that's your fame right there. Yeah. You know? At least some of the ones I've talked to at like DEF CON and Black Hat um, that were willing to tell me that they were in fact Black Hats or people I've talked to online. When something like this happens, it's like it's like it's a, it's a badge. Awesome. It is. It is absolutely. And sometimes people are like, "Well, they got caught. They probably got in trouble." There's, you're always going to get caught at some level, but this this makes. Do it you have a logo that someone generated up for you? All right, yeah. There you go. How, many, how many how many CVEs you got, bruh? It's like I got none, but I've got logos created by CrowdStrike, Symantec, Sophos for all of the stuff that I've done. That's that's pretty huge. Yeah, a little bit of marketing hype, which is which is fun, but it's like I said, I have a I have a really hard time reading this stuff um, when it's very clear that marketing has gotten to it. But you know, it's going to be one of those things eventually with our security operations. Hey Nix the marketing on the sock. The mar- no, I was just going to say, <laughs> I can just say at some point at BHIS when I'm older, someone's going to be like, "So marketing got a hold of this write up that Noah did, and I want you to read it." And I'm going to read the first paragraph. It's going to say. Black Hills Information Security's unparalleled sock detection and cutting edge trademark, whatever. It's going to be like, oh, geez. Oh, no, 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 no. Um, just, just, sir, this is a Wendy's. Um, right. <laughs> All right. So let's get into some rants to close things out today. I, I've got a couple. I'm going to start with my first rant. Can we go to the New York Post article? Experts warn against storing passwords in Chrome after hackers target remote workers. Okay, this article is garbage. And I don't really blame Jamie Harris at The Sun. I do absolutely blame ASEC. Like, just AHN Labs. Like, this is horrible, folks. You should be ashamed, and you should feel bad. And the reason why they should feel bad is because This particular malware, what it does, once it gains access to a system, they actually, in the full write-up, they actually go through like where the files are stored, where you can actually pull the data from the password management interface, and then how you can actually use a SQLite database client to access that data directly. And the reason why this is just bad is the attacker has to get access to the system first. And if the attacker already has access to the system itself, you're pretty well screwed, right? And your cookies and everything for your browser are all stored as files on the system. And once an attacker has gotten access to that, they're going to gain access to these things, right? And if we go back to Metasploit, Meterpreter, post-exploitation script, you look at things like FileZilla, you look at things like different email clients, you look at things like different browsers. There are tons of modules in Metasploit, post-modules, that are designed, there's literally hundreds of them for almost everything that you can think of that is, we're still on the New York Post, oh, there we go, Redline Stealer, that allow you to steal data post-exploitation. And that in and of itself is not new. And the reason why I think this article is absolute complete garbage is it's giving people bad advice, right? So it's basically saying, well, you, you really shouldn't store your passwords in a browser. And 
what are people going to do? Like, you know, I, I like password managers. I like these things, but there's post exploitation modules and key loggers that we can run that can intercept your passwords as well. Like once you get on a system to run a key logger, you don't need to be root system or administrator. Standard user level permissions are enough for me to run a key logger to capture every keystroke. Then I can get access to your password manager. The point is, don't let the attackers get on in the first place. Do your best to do detect and respond very quickly. But giving people advice that they shouldn't use these tools because there's passwords stored in them, that's giving people incorrect information. And what they're going to do is they're going to start using the same password for everything, which is even worse. What they're going to do is they're going to start writing their passwords down which may be a good idea. That's a lot of <laughs> but I, I just don't like this. Like there's this thing that's not new. It's not novel. It's been around forever. And to leverage that into this panic button that tells everybody that they need to stop using password managers in their browser, I think, I think is, is really detrimental to the industry. I think the other thing too to, to to look at this article is that like the our customers that we're typically dealing with I mean they're organizations right so they have like a team of people and they have a budget to buy endpoint security products and all this other stuff and we're just talking about grandma grandpa I mean you know your neighbors whatever right I mean just using their computer to browse around and it gets compromised they don't even have you know a lot of times they don't even have the insight to see that their computer was compromised so I mean mm-hmm. having you know, then saying Chrome now is the last layer of defense before somebody gets your credentials. It's just, it's just insane. Right. But you know how we can look for it, like how we can take it from the industry. I still agree with you though. If you are in that detection mode, you know, and you are implementing actual, you know, uh, security endpoint security products. I mean, at that point, right. It's not about whether I can access your Chrome or your key pass or whatever other manager. I mean, all of that at some point is unencrypted in, in memory that that's a fact The the real, the real question is, can I detect how soon does it take to, to make that detection? And you know, how, how fast can I respond? Right. That's really the question, you know, that we need to be thinking about. Blake's here and I, him and I have talked about this some before too, but the, the thing is that pretty much all of those password managers, even to the point of LastPass, but there is some caveats in it. If you're in the user space of the user, so you catch them on like a fish or something like that, all that stuff is usually encrypted with uh, DP API, which I love DP API. It's terribly confusing and a ton of fun, but effectively like once you're in that user session, you're good to go. But KeyPath yeah. encrypts with DP API. That's how it stores the credentials in memory. The Chrome also encrypts with it. So really, there's no advantage of KeyPass over the other because it's not encry- it's encrypted with DP API by default, unless you set up with like a master password of sorts or something like that. Yeah, but still, look, if you yeah. have the master password yeah. and I'm able to grab your, grab your keystrokes, which you totally can do, mm-hmm. it, it, this would be the equivalent of me saying I can run a keystroke logger on your system. Don't use keyboards. Right. Well, I guess what I'm saying is, is like, if, if this is almost marketing in the fact that it's like, yeah, uh, don't use a password manager. The password manager has the same problem. Yeah, is, they, that's they what do. I'm saying. It's, it's yeah. the same problem. If you're okay, on Windows, least, anyhow, it's different okay. on certain OSs. But yeah, for the most part, it's all the same problem. What I was saying about the key pass is uh, that's the one that there is like known in memory uh, key uh extraction right um but that doesn't mean all the other ones are just as affected right it just you know last pass all of them right at some point that is in memory right uh unencrypted so but i feel yeah, like this i mean last pass has its master password but if you tell it to remember the master password it encrypts it with uh dp api 
But so. this gets into this gets into one of the huge problems that I see in like especially offensive security, right? Um, we have a very strong tendency of basically saying, "Hey, there's a vulnerability in this. It's crap." It's like the old uh, Saturday Night Live sketch: "If it ain't Scottish, it's crap." Right? You know, it's a, it's like, well, we can pull passwords from this, so no one should use it. And I, and I and I'm kind of responsible for some of that years ago. Whenever the offensive community is basically running around and you're breaking everything and like, hey, look, we can set the world on fire. Not that it's gotten that much better, but the point of it is at some point, whenever you talk about these vulnerabilities, we talked about marketing propaganda and hype, right? You need to step back and say, okay, if I get access to the system, this is what I can do. Notify people, right? Give them recommendations, right? But whenever we start saying things like don't use your browser's password storage, that's just like, you know, you're not giving good <laughs> advice at that point because the risk is much higher that they're just going to use the same password for every single website that they go to. And that's a much greater risk, as we all know, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, so we really need to kind of, you know, especially whenever we're offensive security people, we get so caught up into I can hack this toaster and I can put ransomware <laughs> on it. And a lot of times, you know, we get caught up in that and it's like, well, you should not use toasters. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's a big Dump your toaster. Yep. So we just got to be better about how we give information to people. Um, and once again, I'm, I'm old and that's a theme of me being on this show. There's a ton of times I'm like, well, this isn't new because this, 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 for some of this crap, this is the fifth or sixth iteration of the same type of thing echoing and harking back again and again and again and again. And I keep hoping that we as an industry do better than I did and the offensive community did 10, 15 years ago. But that unfortunately is not what I see sometimes. The other thing, this is such a fear-mongering article. Redline stealers, pretty easy to cheap and get hold of on the dark web. Like, I got oh, news God. for you. You can get so many of these other tools for free on GitHub whenever you yeah. want. You know, like... <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think I when I was playing with DP API and like pulling credentials, I specifically was targeting like the Chrome key store and uh, I was just doing it with PowerShell. So well, see, that's just it right there. We shouldn't let people use PowerShell, which actually to be completely honest, that's kind of halfway. Like, oh, yeah, that's my favorite though, when I'm on an engagement and like you're, you're on a box and it's like, Oh, uh, you can't use PowerShell. Oh, you can't use the command line. It's like, Oh yeah. Hold on. <laughs> you're saying I can't. Especially if it's like a BDI breakout or some other kind of like Citrix bake. Oh man, it's so much fun, dude. Just like going through everything that they just <laughs> didn't think that you could possibly Wait. do. <laughs> but let's back up. I mean, that absolutely happens, right? And then you get excited. You're like, yay, it's something new. It's not the same thing, same as it ever was, same as it ever was. It's like something new because I, I don't want to say the majority. I think the majority of BHIS customers are finally starting to restrict those things down. Mm -hmm which yeah. I think is awesome because I'm looking at the reports and even two years ago, it was like unrestricted PowerShell everywhere all the time. But I, I don't think that that's true for the majority of the organizations that are out there. So you constantly have this problem where, you know, you get excited, but I think for many attackers and many malware specimens, that might be enough to actually shut them down or get them to a point where they can be detected in their attempts to try to get around that. And I would hope that any security operations center that's out there, as soon as an attacker gets on the box, and correct me if I'm wrong, Ralph, you're going to try, right? You're going to try to invoke PowerShell right away on that system. I think that in and of itself should be a detect uh, yeah. that we should be able to detect, right? 
Yeah, there's really, I mean, two different types of ways to approach it, right? I mean, are you trying to be evasive or not? And, you know, some of these engagements is just kind of like, well, can you break out of this, uh, you know, as opposed to can I get detected? But to your point, though, yes, the more things that you put into in place that restrict my access, uh, that's more chances for you to detect my, you know, presence, right? Um, And then that's really what we're trying to get to. And I think what, what you're like, like, I think that's important is if you put in a restriction on PowerShell, then you absolutely need to make sure that you have a detective mechanism around it as well, right? Yep. So if you shut down PowerShell in your SIM or whatever you're gathering for like Sysmon on systems, there should be a detect that if the user tries to invoke PowerShell, that should be a detect as well. These yeah. things got to go hand in hand. And yeah, when that sure. detect fires, you should go look at it. Who's <laughs> that? There's that part. Yeah, if you're um, looking at it often, you should fix that detection. It's well, but no, I think that we've seen a ton of vendors. I don't know. It seems like every time we onboard a new customer, we come across new vendors that are like literally doing pen testing hackery things to make their software work. And you're like, you know, like PowerShell. Like, why are they using PowerShell to do this execution? Because clearly one of the developers was probably a pen tester. And they're like, hey, I got this cool way that we can do this. Like, yeah, don't do it that way. But you're constantly dealing with software that's like, this looks a lot like malware. It's like, no, 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 no. That's just the way this HP thing works. It's like, oh, God. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, how many times have I sent you that email? You're like, this looks like, this looks terrible. And I'm like, oh, no, that's just what Dell put out. They made that. And I respond back with, why? Why did they do that? Um, like what was one of it? Uh, I think it was one of them was using run DLL 32 with forward slash I and forward slash U, which is, to, I think, that, were they actually downloading a .set file too? Yeah. No, no, they totally were. And it's like, the only place I've ever seen that is a pen test, like ever. And it's just like, this is ridiculous. Oh. Yeah. Or the, there was a time like, this should not be installed here. I'm like, the client installed it. I don't know what to tell you, but uh, sorry. Well, we also, have, you know, we also run into things where like, we're pretty sure this customer's pwned like already. Like this, this is, not, not if they're not, it's because they're lucky. If it's not, if they're not, it's because they're lucky sometimes. Uh, uh, that's cool. That's, that's we're there to help with. Right? You, yeah, usually we don't. I, I don't go looking too deep. It, I, like I'll, I'll, I'll see, and like if I don't find anything, I keep going. But you know, you can't touch every box, right? Well, oh man, so know, scary. What was the thing that you found? Where one of our customers, for whatever reason, there was something that was running clear text passwords. Like it was some application. It was. I can't it was a business warehouse application. But I, it's, it's a lot of that because a lot of that stuff talks to like either Linux or Unix based servers the communication between the two is just hard to get it encrypted. You have to use certs, basically. It's about the only way to do it. So yeah, it was passing the Active Directory credentials because they wanted to use their Active Directory sign-ins with their Unix-based servers, and they had no idea how to do that. Uh, not, not they didn't, the but bank, like the, the, the server the didn't know how to yeah. use Active Directory. So it was getting passed through the Windows, like the client, um, which was releasing the username and passwords directly into the command line via clear text. so we got yeah we got like nine da's when i found that yeah it was bad and you're not you're not even a pen tester like i got da you're doing it wrong noah that's not your job oh 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 well pretty much every client we've onboarded we find da at some point but we then we get it fixed that's the whole point you you find it then you get it fixed that's not that shouldn't be a sellable thing. That shouldn't be like our sock is so good, we'll get DA. I, I, 
Yeah, that, that marketing doesn't jive real well. Uh, we're going to have to stand away from that one. Um, let's, let's get into another ranty thing. I, I don't know what the hell we're going to do this, but Mike Parson, the governor of Missouri, is still a thing. Tim, you're Why? A- I'm out. Tim, Tim has some important things to say. <laughs> the governor of Missouri. No, no, I don't. He has nothing important. I, I am trying to distance myself from this state and any affiliation with that individual as possible. Um, God, this is embarrassing. Like, it's... Uh, I, I can't even put into words how frustrating it is to see just this level of incompetence. Oh, not not just on this particular topic across the board, but to to I mean, there's nothing here. Like, and to keep pushing and pushing and pushing, it's just a complete lack of understanding of technology. It's a, a complete lack of well, just complete lack of awareness and and knowledge anyway. But man, this is why we can't have nice things in the state. <laughs> <laughs> the files—they're in the computer. They're in. <laughs> I love the analogy. If you go down, oh, right there, there's the quote right there. So the governor does this, uh, does this analogy, which is stupid. If somebody picks your locks in your house for whatever reason, even if it's not a good lock, it's a cheap lock or whatever the problem you may have, they do not have the right to go into your house and take anything that belongs to you. And that analogy is so wrong because literally the website was sending the data <laughs> to you. So it's almost, no, no, no. The analogy isn't me picking the locks in your house. The analogy analogy is you you sent mail and you're just mad that I opened it. Yeah. You you sent mail. (laughs) What the hell? I sent you a check and you cashed it. What? (laughs) I I, I don't know. I I just, I I just, (sighs) doesn't he have PR people that can pull him aside? I I don't know. So somebody said Parsons was a sheriff of Polk County from 93 to 04. A man with a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Maybe that's the type he is. But, you know, you get this absolute power corrupts absolutely type thing. Emperor's new clothes, whatever. You know, you got all these stories that you're told as a kid. When you see this stuff like playing out real time, like you're almost wondering if like his aides are around. Like, do you want to tell him? No, (laughs) no. You tell him. I'm not going to tell him. Well, they might be worried they're going to go to jail if they tell them about this. Like, uh, by the way, anyone can do that. I've done it before, too. Like, you're going to jail, too. Somebody just put in, I threw my couch out the window and you took it? How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, just, I, I just absolutely just cannot fathom this. And the other thing, this, this also goes back to the uh, incident um, that happened at an, a, in a Adel, Iowa, not Adele, but Adel, Iowa. Oh, now we're picking on Iowa. <laughs> we're gonna, I accept the responsibility. Off, we started off with the bashing. bashing. Yeah. What's that, Ben? We started off with some bashing of the Midwest, so I'm happy we're coming back around to it, too. Yeah, we'll come back. We'll get to <laughs> Illinois here later. later. Um, but we got to go through South Dakota first. But it's similar to that. So whenever you had the sheriff, I can't remember the sheriff's name in that. I met him, hung out with him. He talked to uh, Lloyd, I think was his name, kind of a similar situation. Didn't quite understand what was going down. And he doubled down, right? He's like, I saw these guys at night, they were doing these things and I arrested them and all that. He was even, Leonard, there we go. He was even smart enough by the time he came to our con that we did in Adele to start stepping this back. And he was even smart enough to say, I think the charges should be dropped against these individuals 
Now, up until that point, he was all gun ho but he was even smart enough to like take a couple of steps back, take a deep breath, listen to some people, and change course. The governor in this situation, I, th- I just think he's doubling down. Now, I don't think... He's like tripled down, though. He might be even quadrupled triple? down. <laughs> this is at least there. the third case. This is like the third time he's did it. He, he doubled down once before, like shortly after the incident. And then yeah. this is at yeah. least the triple down. And, and what's funny is I, I think the way that this is going to end is they have um, actually put it to Cole County prosecuting attorney to see if they're going to bring charges. And I am, I think we would all agree that the Cole County prosecutor is just like, no. And I'm pretty sure that the governor is basically going to say, you know, I wanted to press charges, but this wasn't my cult. I think he wants to look like he's tough on crime and he's tough on hacking. But the actual step back isn't going to be him. It's almost like one of those guys that's trying to fight and like his friends are holding him back. But you can tell they're not holding him back that hard. He just wants to make it look like his friends. It's posturing him back. Sure. Wasn't for my friends, I would kill you. I know Krav McGraw. A- angry man yells at clouds, right? <laughs> like it's Every just- time. I just want to know what. So it, in the, the article we have. It says that the highway patrol uh, claimed that it completed its investigation and turned over its findings to the state prosecutors. I just want to know what that document looks like. <laughs> just a giant question mark. Like, why are what we doing the investigation? This? Yeah, like, oh, yep, you can hit F twelve. It works. Well, I was gonna. I, I've always wondered, like, how did that in, like forensic investigation what go? Was my like, mind. They they pull it into like you know some sort of forensic software, and they're like, yep. As far as artifacts go, it had a keyboard attached. Yeah. That's what we got. <laughs> well, and, and, and to be honest, like let, let's back up a few more seconds. If the person that originally released this like immediately went on Twitter and was like, hey, y'all, you can totally see all this stuff with F12. Just go do it. Maybe I might have some sympathy in this particular situation, but it sounds like this person did everything coordinated disclosure they didn't release it until it was fixed they they weren't just like stunt hacking and throwing it out there you know they actually went through kind of a responsible coordinated disclosure and only after that did he get in trouble which is like what's the damage that he did like how would you actually press charges against this person i don't know other shades comment the- though. You just you gotta you gotta look at that. That that's what the official report was. If Ryan pulls it up here, <laughs> yeah, official report. The Highway Patrol told the wrong governor, highway governor, wrong <laughs> highway governor. <laughs> John, you made a comment about damage. Is like, what is this going to do to you know potential responsible disclosure attempts within the state mm-hmm. moving forward? You know, if I found something. And, you know, with one of the the Missouri government systems or whatever like that, like, you better believe I'm not reporting it at this point because it's it's not going to benefit me or anybody else. Well, and it also gets into, I think you're, you're right about like kind of chilling that conversation that needs to happen. Right. And I, I think you run into a situation where not you, but other people, if they find something, they're totally not going to communicate it. And because of this track record, they're more than likely going to create like a puppet account, sock puppet account, and just dump it on Twitter yeah. like immediately. And you're you're inviting I, the opposite. Yeah, you're actually you're yeah. actually exactly you're inviting the opposite of what you want out of this situation. I think that one of the problems that we have 
is with many people, it's not about fixing the problem and positive outcomes. It's about you hurt my feelings. Punishment must be in store. The other thing that like, I know we, we all kind of laugh and meme about it, but we're also like technical, you know, people that kind of understand like what this really means and where it comes from. And I think there's a lot of people that might get exposed to this kind of reporting and these kinds of articles that obviously do not work in our space and don't have that technical literacy and kind of might have a very different understanding of what this means. And I think that the way that that public opinion is shaped and formed also has like lasting impacts on all of this stuff as well. Even in his analogy where he says like, if someone picks the lock on your door and it's not a very good one, that doesn't give them the right to walk inside. Why were they picking the locks on your door in the first place? <laughs> Like, well, like there's, there's more flawed logic than just, I don't understand tech. But there's a lot of people that are just hearing it from the governor and they're not technical. They don't understand and they're on board. So once again, going back to Adele and awareness con, maybe we need to do an awareness con and actually go to Missouri and I will demonstrate hacks like this live or something like that. I don't know. But oh, I think we should. I'll, I'll show up. Bring it on. We'll make, it I think we should make awareness okay. con. Like if we show up, if we show up in your town, state territory like you done screwed up well yeah but we aren't going to go there and just basically we're not going to show up and make people look bad right so <laughs> then both john strands will be arrested <laughs> um, but when we went to adele i, I kind of want to walk through what happened we invited the community not security people not technical people the community to show up so we could have an open conversation and answer their questions okay and uh, Ben from the Sands Institute, um, he, he does all the legal classes at Sands. He showed up and he talked about the legal ramifications and where the law is and all these things. And I would say probably 80% of the room were not technical people. And there was a huge percentage of those people. When I was talking to them beforehand, we went and got like uh, donuts and I can't remember, we had like food beforehand. When I was mingling around the room, talking with these people who are not security people, the vast majority of them were like, we need these boys thrown in jail as an example, that they are not to come to Iowa and they are not to break into our stuff and they're not to do this. We need to make an example of, they were ready to basically run these people in prison. And they also wanted me to go to prison as well. So they would ask like, you know, what do you do? I'm like, I do exactly what these people do. And they're like, well, you're a criminal, blah, 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 blah. And the goal of the conversation wasn't to immediately get into a fist fight, but was to explain things. And I remember um, after Ben got his talk done, there was one lady in the, uh, in the audience, and she was like kind of in the middle, and she was still hell-bent for leather, right? She wanted blood. But something interesting happened. The other people in the room that were non-technical basically started arguing with her and basically were like, well, wait a minute now. You didn't hear what he said about this. This is what the contract says. This is what they were doing. This is who hired them, like the state Supreme Court. This is not something where they necessarily broke. And it started a conversation. And it was interesting because it continued out into the, uh, into the parking lot. Um, I thought it was going to turn into a fist fight and it didn't. But at the end of that, with enough conversations going on and the breaks and everything, the people in the community began to understand. And that was kind of the purpose of Awareness Con. And if this continues to be a thing, or God forbid they bring charges against this professor, um, who is a professor in uh, St. Louis, if that happens, then I think it's time for us to actually go down there. But I think the charges are going to be dropped. They may be charges that will be brought, but they know that they're going to be dismissed at some point. 
But I think that we will do that. But the point is, if you're in computer security, don't go into an argument trying to argue and prove you're right. Because as soon as you've done that, you've lost the argument. Go in and answer questions. Let people ask you questions and approach it that way. And you're going to have much better like return on investment and putting in your time. Like we're joking about the governor because this is an echo chamber of security people. If I was to present and talk about this, I sure as hell wouldn't be like, well, this governor's a complete moron. <laughs> it would be all about, you know, he used an analogy of a lock. And I would ask people, tell me, do you think this analogy applies? And then I would walk through like a sheet of paper with the social security numbers and hand it to somebody in the room and say, this is how your browser works. The server does like walk through and deconstruct things to get people to understand what's going on is the best thing that you can do with this as well. Go ahead. I monologued. I apologize. I have a habit of doing that too many years teaching at the Sands Institute. Ethershade said a lot of the problems overall technical ignorance. This is compounded by the fact that CyberSec is even more obscure. Most of the population just wants their stuff to work and doesn't want to be inconvenienced. And I think that that's true. But a lot of that problem, Ethershade, is us in this industry doing what we, everything we can to make it complicated, to make it look hard, <laughs> to make it look elite. To make it look like something like you have to be in our club, we don't have to make it that way. We can explain things in a way that normal people can understand. All right. Any other final words on this before we actually call it a day? Because it's been a hell of a BHIS Monday since yesterday was a day off. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know what day it is. The worst Mondays happen on Tuesdays. The worst Mondays are the Tuesdays that are Mondays. All right, everybody. I want to say thank you very much for coming to another edition of Black Hills Information Security, talking about news. We really do appreciate you. I guess I'm supposed to say things like, you can subscribe to our videos down below. Apparently, smash, that's the thing. smash that smash. like button. Smash, smash the that like button. button. <laughs> I guess. I'm old. Um, give us, give right. us feedback. Let us know what you think. Yeah, let us know what you want us to talk about. And also, if you're listening and you want to come hang out, let us know. We bring people that aren't BHIS employees on the show all the time. All right, everybody. Talk to you all later. Thank you so much. Ryan, take us out. All right, here we go. For better or worse, welcome to 2022.